Kids, parents came in, which meant that we basically handed our children off. It was a glorious week uh, here for us. But it's also been, as maybe you heard in the prayer, a very busy week, uh, a couple of weeks in terms of uh, ZPC, in terms of traveling, not just for spring break, but we had some folks who are off in uh, Romania helping out uh, doing a pastor's conference there. Uh, we have a couple folks who are in Egypt uh, right now. We have uh, uh, the family outing to, uh, to Mexico. Um, they got back, I think, yesterday. And then, um, of course, is, um, uh, um, we have, I think, close to 40 folks that are now in Israel. Um, I think they made it. Um, they uh, left yesterday. I haven't heard anything otherwise. And so, uh, so it's been a uh, kind of a, a tremendously busy time around here and many folks who are out and about. But it is good to be here with you. And uh, I want to thank Randall Gilmore, who was here in my stead last Sunday. Uh, preaching. Uh, and so we are continuing this week. This is the final week of our building for God's kingdom uh, because next week, of course, is Palm Sunday. And then after that, Good, 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 good. So we're teaching some good things around here. That's right. Palm Sunday and then Easter. So we have that taken care of. And so this is our last week at looking at building for God's kingdom. And in order to kind of uh, usher us into that, we're going to look at the gospel of Matthew. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here is preaching to the crowds. And here is what he has to say. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we come to you on this morning after a glorious day yesterday, where we are reminded of the beauty of your creation, the reminded, Lord, of how you created this world out of love for us. We pray that you would help us to rest in that love first and foremost, that we might know that we have been created by you out of love. I pray, Lord, this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So uh, if you have been around here for a little while, then you probably know that here at ZPC we have a mission statement. And our mission statement is that we are called together by God to make disciples and release them for service into our broken world. And for as long as ZPC has been around since the mid 80s, uh, becoming a disciple and growing in discipleship has really been kind of the key thing that we have been about. And so what we've been doing then since last fall is we've been talking about a couple components of what it means to be a disciple. 
because sometimes it can kind of be hard to know exactly what that means. And so one of the things, and we started in the fall, we talked all about uh, uh, being a disciple means that we are shaped more and more like Jesus, that our hope is that when we go to bed, we look more like Jesus than when we woke up, right? And so, so we use then, and 2 Corinthians, our text there, is that our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like like him, right? And so we should be a people then who are growing. And, and, and when you look back at a year ago, we should be a people who are more graceful now than we were a year ago. We should be a people who are more meek, a people who are more gentle, a people who are more patient, not just as individuals, but even as a church, we should look more like that. So if you're sitting there and you're wondering, how am I doing as a disciple? Then one of the key ways to say is, do I look more like Jesus now than what I once did. And then in January, we said, well, here's another component, because of course, it's not just about what do I look like, it's also about how was the world, how was the community, the, the neighborhoods around me, the world being changed because of who Jesus is. And so we use as our text kind of the, the part of the Lord's Prayer, which is also in Matthew 6 that I just read. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want to do more than just pray about that. We want to ask in what way, what kind of role do we have to help God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? So what we've said is we've said this is, we call this building for God's kingdom. And it's a little clunky. Just to say building God's kingdom would be easier. But the reason why we say building for God's kingdom is because we know that we cannot do this on our own. Own. Ultimately, it is up to God to build God's kingdom. And where Christians oftentimes come into trouble is when we think it's up to me or it's up to us in order to build God's kingdom. Whenever that happens, we end up becoming a people who are either way too prideful or we are a people who exhaust ourselves because we keep trying and it's just not working. Or we are a people who just give up because we think we can never actually do it, which of course we can't. So first of all, it's God's to do. But secondly, as you look at the life of Jesus, it's very clear that we are called to participate. Jesus is always inviting us to participate in this coming mission of God. And so what we use, the image, and I did said, I described this the very first Sunday of our series back in January, right after, it might surprise you, a snowy Saturday evening. We've only had about 12 of those this winter and so what we, I, we used N.T. Wright's kind of vision, maybe you remember this, of a beautiful cathedral. And N.T. Wright says it's like an architect. And he builds this, he knows what he wants to make. He has the great plans for this beautiful cathedral. And so he calls somebody. He says, okay, I want you, a stonemason. You're going to go, go to the quarry, get a beautiful piece of stone, and build a wonderful turret right there. You build that turret. And, and then he finds somebody else, another worker. He says, you go, and you build some beautiful tiles for the cathedral. And then he finds a carpenter, and he says, you go find some great pieces of wood, and you build a pew. And after they've done all of those things, they then come and they deliver them to the architect. They don't actually put it in the cathedral. They don't know exactly where it's going to go in the cathedral. But what they know is that they are building for this beautiful cathedral that then the architect, aka God, is going to take in order to make something incredibly beautiful overall. And this is what we believe happens. We don't always know 
exactly how our acts of justice, exactly how our acts of worship, about how our acts of celebration, how they are ultimately going to build for God's kingdom. But what we know, as scripture says, is that what we do is never in vain. The work that we do for the glory of God is never in vain. And so we build then for God's kingdom in this way. And I wanted to kind of set this up because I think it's important for us to do so and to look at it through that context to understand exactly what Jesus is trying to say here in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is saying, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in, in heaven. Which is, I think, it's just another way to say, don't build your own personal kingdom. Ask the question, how do I build for God's coming kingdom? And of course, as you kind of just look at this quickly, it's pretty obvious a couple of the ways that Jesus is saying, but most of them have to do, of course, with how we're spending our money. He says, you can't be a slave. You can only be a slave to either money or to God. You can't do to both. Right? And so he says, the things that you're buying, are you buying only clothes that then moths will come and eat up? Are you just spending money on gold and other nice things that time and rust are going to ultimately consume? Are you only buying things that thieves will more than happily enjoy taking from you? Are you building for things eternal or are you building for things temporally only? Now that's true. And we could probably just end it there and you guys could go and say, okay, well, we should probably make sure that we're writing a couple checks. We should be more generous. Okay, great. We're building for God's kingdom. But I think actually to really understand what Jesus is saying here, to understand the why behind what Jesus is saying when it comes to building for God's kingdom and wealth, we have to first of all look at what Jesus says within the context of the whole sixth chapter. So that's what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment, and Dale Bruner is the one who really kind of helped me to understand this more. And here's what, here's what Jesus does. The beginning of the sixth chapter, and you can go back and look at it at some point. You can look at it now. It doesn't matter. But Jesus says this. He's looking at these followers, and he says, do not do your acts of piety, your kind of spiritual acts, in such a way that everyone looks around you and notices and thinks, wow, this person is remarkably important or what a great person. And so how does he say we do this? He says, well, when you give alms, this is great. He says, when you give alms, don't blow a trumpet before you do so. When you give of your tithe and your offering, don't blow a trumpet so that everybody can see, right? Don't write, don't bring on, you know, you know at, the, at, at the end of a golf Kind of thing, you know, when they have those big massive checks that they, you know, they give. Don't, don't put that in the offering plate, right? I mean, that would be awkward anyways, but don't do that, right? Don't, don't do it in such a way that people are overly impressed and they think, wow, look how generous he is. Look how much she gives. Don't, don't do it like that. And then he says, when you pray, don't, don't pray like some do. They'll go to the street corners and they'll pray in such a way that everybody can hear what a glorious prayer they are. Or he says, when you fast, don't fast. Don't, don't distort your face when you fast. This is literally what he says. Which, quite frankly, you may seem silly, but if you've ever fasted, you know it's actually kind of hard not to distort your face, especially when people around you are eating, right? To, to get angry, right? And he says, don't distort your face. In other words, he says, no, just, just fast. Just pray. Just give. 
right? But don't do so in such a way that others are, are able to notice you. And, and don't do so in such a way that others think, wow, there's somebody really significant or important. Now, I want you to hear something when I say this. There's two important things here. The first thing is this. What Jesus is not saying is that you are not important or that you are not significant or that you have not been noticed. What Jesus is saying is the reason why you are significant, the reason why you are noticed, the reason why you are important is not because of the fact that you pray a lot or you fast a lot or you give a lot. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus wants us to know first and foremost, and you see it in his whole life, and it is good and right for us to talk about this on the third Sunday before Easter, is this, that the whole reason why Jesus came here is because of the fact that you are so important to him and that he noticed us, that he decided to come to earth in order to be with us because he loves you so much. We talked about this a lot during the fall when we said how we are being shaped more like Jesus. We said one of the things that Jesus does is he is always noticing people, right? Remember when we talked about Matthew, the tax collector, somebody that nobody else wanted to act like they had even seen him, right? But what does Jesus do? Jesus, not a trick question, Jesus notices him, right? What does he do with, with, with prostitutes, you know, with other sinners, if you will, right? He notices them. Jesus is always noticing them. I love the story, as Matthew tells it, of the woman who was bleeding. She'd been bleeding, I think it is, for 12 years. Do you remember this story? And there's this massive crowd that is around Jesus, right? And, and the woman says to herself, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak, then I will be healed. And sure enough, she gets over there and she touches the edge of his cloak and she's healed. And Jesus feels that power has been left. And so what does he do? He stops and he says, who touched me? The disciples around him, I love the disciples because they're all of us. They're like, Jesus, you see how many people are around you? Who touched you? Probably everybody. And why does it even matter? But Jesus was not satisfied just with the woman having been physically healed. What he wanted her to know, someone who people had ignored again and again. You know how we do, right? You know how oftentimes if we see somebody who is homeless, if we see somebody's on the outskirts, we act like we don't even see them. In that day and age, to have been a woman who was bleeding like that year after year, they would have thought something is wrong with her. We don't want to get close to her. Jesus said, it matters to me that she knows that I noticed her. And so he stops and he heals her, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally by simply saying, I have come to this earth for people just like you. See, Jesus is passionate. I want you to hear this. Jesus is passionate about wanting you to know that you are loved, not because of anything that you have done, not because of the way that you pray or fast or give, but simply because you are a creation of God. Remember the Jesus Storybook Bible that we went over? It has that great quote that I love to mention from time to time where it looked at humanity and it said, they were lovely because 
God loved them. You are lovely. You are noticed. Not because of those spiritual things you do, but because of the simple fact that you are a creation of God. And here's what Jesus knows, that if you think that the reason why you're noticed is because you pray so amazingly well that you're going to be in trouble, because there will always be at least one person, probably a lot more, who pray better than you or pray longer than you. Right? There's always going to be somebody who can fast one more meal than you can. There will always be somebody, because they may have more money, who can give more than you can. And if you think the reason why you are important or significant is how you compare to others in the way you pray or fast or give, then you are sunk. You will never be content. And you will never really believe that Jesus loves you simply because you have been created by God. So then, Why does Jesus bring up wealth? Right here in the midst of a conversation about being noticed or feeling significant or important or special in some way. Why would Jesus bring up wealth when it comes to feeling significant or like you matter? Probably because there is no greater way for the vast majority of us, of humanity as a whole, to feel significant or to feel like they matter or like they are important by the kind of money that they have, by the kind of cars that they drive, by the kind of houses that they live in. What Jesus knows, Jesus isn't mad at people because they have wealth. The reason why Jesus talks about it here and throughout the Gospels is because he knows how easily tempting it is for us to believe that the reason why we are important, why we are matter, why we special, why are special is because of what we are wearing or what we are driving or in what we are living in. And if you are here this morning and you think to yourself, well, I don't ever just buy something because I think it makes me look important or if I matter, that's never a temptation to me. You are the one that Jesus and that I am most concerned about. Because all of us are tempted in some way and the greatest danger is to think that that's never a temptation. And one of the things about wealth is that it's almost innate that we think that those who have money, whether it's us or someone else, are more significant or that they matter in some deeper way than everyone else. I was remembering this very week about the first time that I went to go see my uncle at his new house. I was, I asked my mom this week, I couldn't remember. I was five years old and my sister was nine years old. My, my, my uncle was a doctor. Now, my father was a doctor too. But he was a doctor in the military. And one of the things I discovered quickly is that civilian doctors and military doctors, they don't make the same money. 
And so the very first time that we drove up to my uncle's house in Michigan, who we had heard had bought 100 acres and had built a house, but we had no idea. And we knew our uncle, right? He was a great guy. And so we drove up. We went into this, this kind of rural area. And all of a sudden, we drove and we looked at the driveway. It was one of those circular driveways. And there was the house. And my sister, again, who was nine years old, she just said, it's a mansion. And then she said this, Mom, should I get on my Sunday dress before we go into this place? Now, why would a nine-year-old think that she should get on her Sunday best before she went into this place? Because there's a sense that whoever lives in this place, and she even knew who lived in this place, that whoever lived in this place must be significant. They must matter. Right? Because they live inside of this amazing house. And it was an amazing house. It wasn't actually a mansion. But in our eyes, it looked like, like, like they would notice that person more than the person who lived in a four-bedroom ranch in Pensacola, Florida. Now, I don't think, let's be very clear here, I don't think that my uncle necessarily bought that house because he said, hey, I want people to think I'm significant, like I matter. He might have, I, I don't know, but I want to be very clear because here's, here's what happens. So let me just take, can I just take a quick aside? Thank you. Whenever I talk about money or wealth, I usually get a little bit of pushback from folks. And here's typically what I get, which is that, well, you think everyone's rich just because we live in this area. We're not everyone rich. So let me just say this. Let me say three things. It may get longer as I continue. <laughs> One is, man, as far as I know, most of us are Americans. And when you compare us to most other countries, guess what we all are? Rich. And in Indiana, the average median income is around 54 to 55,000. So you may make less than that. And if you do and you come here, I want to say thank you. We need you here. Thank you for being here. But probably most of us are making more than that. And I also want to be very clear, and I'll say this even more here in just a moment. Just because you are wealthy doesn't mean that you're only doing these things so that you think that you're important so that others will notice you. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that it is a temptation that all of us, myself included, have. And Jesus loves you so much that he keeps saying, I want you to know that if you have wealth, that's fine. But I want you to know that is not why you are important. That is not why you are significant. That is not why you matter. You matter because first and foremost, God has created you and I love you. Because guess what happens? Just like with prayer and fasting and giving alms, if you think it is your wealth that makes you special or important or makes people notice you, then you will never be content. I love what Schopenhauer said. He said, wealth is like salt water. The more you drink it, the thirstier you get. Because here's what happens. As soon as you rehab and you remodel your house and you think, oh yeah. All of a sudden those same rehab guys show up at the house next to yours and theirs is going to be a little bit nicer. As soon as you spend all those monies on the most fashionable of clothes, all of a sudden next fall comes and you're out of date. Or I was remembering my car. You know how much I love that car, that Jetta, that sweet ride. And when I first bought that car, it was awesome. I loved it. It's still awesome, I think, as do my children. They love that car. Megan hates it. The rest of us love it. 
But I kid you not, I think it was the very next year, it may have been the year after that, when all of a sudden, guess what happened? A new model of the Jetta came out. Now, it was still the same car that I was in, but all of a sudden, if it was parked next to the new model that had just a few differences, but it looked a lot sportier, all of a sudden, my car, because look at that thing. That gets noticed. What they notice about my car is it's a little out of date. In other words, it is just constant. You will never be content because you will keep thinking I can buy my way into feeling noticed or important or significant. And you will never reach that place. And so here's one of the things I want you to know. When it comes to building for God's kingdom, first and foremost, here is a part of what we do, which is that we let others know that they are loved, not because of what they have or what they don't have, but that they are loved simply because they have been created by God. Why? Jerry are you always talking about making sure that when people come in here the first time that they are noticed why is it that when I talk about our own building that one of the things I'm thinking about is how can we make it a a more welcoming place to be noticed because I know how important it is we all know how important it is to feel like we have been noticed and that we matter So Jesus says, remember this, this is why you matter. So this is interesting. One of the greatest ways that we can be, one of the greatest things about generosity, about taking our wealth and giving it away, is A, it is an incredible barometer for understanding just how much we are equating our wealth with how important we are. Because the more that you give, the more that it is a check on whether or not what kind of significance you are gaining from what you have already. But it's also interesting because it's this reality that generosity, first and foremost, why it is so important has nothing to do with anybody else and has everything to do with your own sense, your own soul. What are the things that I say? If you want to know if you are building for God's kingdom or for your own kingdom, look at two things. What do I say those two things are? Look at your calendar and look at your bank account. I always get so quiet when I get to this part of the message. And I always think next time I'm going to do it in such a way that people don't get upset with me. But but here's also what I want you to know. Which is that wealth has an amazing opportunity to build for God's kingdom in ways I don't think most of us even understand. See, I was talking about my uncle. I've told you all a little bit about this before. My uncle, you know, the one in the big, beautiful home. When I think of my uncle, it is not the home that comes to my mind first or second or third or even fourth or fifth. What I remember is when I was a kid. I remember when I was 10 years old, my parents separated When I was 11, six or eight months later, we moved. My mom, my sister, and I moved from Seattle down to Pensacola, Florida, where we had had a house where we lived there before. And that was an incredibly difficult time for me in lots of different ways. But one of the things that was most visceral about the difference was not just that we lived in a different location, not just that my father wasn't still living with us or that I didn't see my father very often. It was actually actually a sense of, of, of not having enough money. 
On Friday nights, you know, we used to always go to Pizza Hut. That's what we did. And my mother, bless her heart, you know, after that, we would get these Chef Boyardee pizza kits on Friday night. And I knew even at the age of 11 or 12, I knew what she was trying to do, but I also knew it wasn't the same. I knew that when we went to the grocery store, we didn't get Pop-Tarts anymore. We got toaster pastries. That is a sad substitute for a (laughs) Pop-Tart. I'm just here to tell you, don't do it. Some things you can cut back on, not those. Now, when I was growing up, my parents were pretty frugal, so we didn't go, we didn't shop at Nordstrom or the Bond, but we at least would get JCPenney or Sears. But I can remember in 1985, when I went to back to school shopping, I went to the TG&Y. Now, my guess is not many of you know TG&Y. Have you ever heard of TG&Y? Okay, there's like a couple. Why? Because it was mostly in the South, right? So I thought, well, maybe nobody knows. And this really has nothing to do with anything, but I want you to see this from America's turning to Get ready for back to school with organizers and notebooks. Just $3.66 each. Boys and girls fleece activewear, pants and tops in bright colors, now $9 per set. And activewear for ladies and men, sale priced at only $11 a set. Look for these great savings and more in our special 68-page shopper's guide. For the best back to school buys. Now it may surprise you to know teaching why no longer exists. Um, but I can remember kind of, you know, those sweatpants, you know, and I can remember being, and I still remember being in the dressing room, and I kid you not, at TG&Y, and just thinking, I can't believe I'm going to have to wear this the first time I go to school in a new place. Now, I want to be very clear. This is still more than what maybe some of you had when you were a kid or that many others have today. So I, wanna, I don't want to act as if I was sitting there in the squalor of poverty. But I also want to give you a sense of the reality that this was dramatically different for me than what it once was. And that I was struggling in so many ways. I was struggling with the sense of vulnerability. I was struggling with the sense of, you know, of what was going to happen. All of these things. And one of the major ways that I saw that was financially. My mother was working two to three jobs. She was getting up at three something in the morning in order to deliver papers and then she'd work at a bookstore and then she was going full-time back in graduate school and oftentimes I would come home and there would be nobody there and it was all incredibly different than the way in which I was raised and I felt this vulnerability like I had never felt before. But here's what I also want you to know is that periodically we would get an envelope in the mail from my uncle, from my rich uncle. And I would look at some of those checks. I didn't look at all of them. But oftentimes what I would see on those checks was it was a check for $500. Which back in the mid-80s would do something for you. And since, of course, when we got that $500 check, it meant maybe we got to go to Pizza Hut. Maybe we got to get one box of Pop-Tarts. But I want you to know, even as a kid, here is what it meant to me. That generosity to me, what it meant was this. It meant A, that we had some more security. It meant B, that we were not going to drown because my uncle was going to be there to protect us. But perhaps more than anything else, what it meant to me was that we, my mom, my sister, and I, we had not been forgotten. That my uncle noticed me. And this is what I want you to know about wealth. In one sense, it is a great temptation. 
And we have to be mindful of that. But I want you to know it can do immeasurably incredible things because it can let others know, especially those who are struggling or those who are broken, it can let them know that they have not been forgotten, that they have been noticed. See, I've told my uncle before, I have told him how much it meant to me that he did that as a kid. I don't think he really gets it. But one of the things that I look forward to is when he goes to heaven at some point when Jesus returns and he's able to experience and to be able to see how what he did built for God's kingdom. Now here's what I was thinking this week. My uncle, my guess is at some point he spent $500 for something that he did, something that he wanted. And I want you to know that's okay. We don't take vows of poverty as Presbyterians. But 30 something years ago, he made a decision. As he wrote the check, he decided to give that rather than to spend it on something for himself. Now, I don't know what he would have bought for $500. What I do feel pretty confident of is that if you were to ask him what he bought back in 1985 or 86 for $500, he couldn't tell you. And that more than likely, whatever it was, some moth had eaten it already, or rust, or time had consumed it, or somebody had gladly, goodwill, or some thief had gladly taken it away. But I, what I want you to know is that I will never forget the $500 that he gave to us. And what I want you to know is that not only did that change me right then, it changed the way I saw money. It changed the way I saw my own nephew and nieces. It changed the way that I saw my own children and talked to them about money. It changed the way I'm a pastor. It changed all of those things. Because my uncle in that moment decided that he was going to Store his treasure not on earth, but in heaven. This morning we have one simple question. It's the one that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago, and yet it's one that continues to be asked today for us who are disciples and followers of Jesus. Where are you storing your treasure? Let's pray. God, we gather here this morning as your people. And we give you praise. We know, Lord, that you have blessed us. And so we pray that in the same ways that we have been blessed, that we would be willing to be a blessing to others. May we understand the gifts and may we offer them to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.